Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Fresh new song. MJ Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Good morning, everyone. This is Book Talk with Fran Lewis, brought to you by MJ Network in memory of my sister, Marsha Joyce. And I am so excited. The author of 27 Days is here, Patrick Moore. 27 Days is a taut and topical political thriller narrated in laconic noir fashion by veteran LAPI Nick Crane. Wait till you meet this guy. In the spring of 2019, Nick is on the run in the Pacific Northwest pursued by a couple of wealthy right-wing power brokers and domestic terrorists, the principals led by Marguerite Ferguson and Desmond Cole. And if you want to know what happens, you're going to have to listen to the show. Good morning and welcome to MJ Network. Good, good morning, um, Fran. Happy to be here. Me too. And I'm glad Charles put your book on Facebook so I can ask for it. <laughs> yes, that was very kind of him. I get in trouble a lot doing that, but that's okay. So the very first scene, summarize and describe the first scene. How did you create that? And who well, called well, Marguerite? A, yeah, that, that's a good question. So we have this situation. <clears throat> Nick Crane, um, my LAPI, is on the run from Margarita and the principals, but specifically from Margarita. Um, and uh, so he's been wandering. He, he, he was shot and almost killed back in early October by one of Margarita's um, gun, gun women. I would say gun men, but she was a gun woman. And she shot Nick. Nick was in the hospital, and he escaped. And Margarita's intention was to um, abduct Nick as he was discharged mm. from the hospital in Boston. But she mm. failed, and Nick escaped. And he's been on the run since for about six months, mostly mm. wandering the Pacific Northwest. And so the first scene in the book, there he is. He's just staying at a, in a cabin in a little motel um, in a town in uh, eastern Oregon. And, uh, and he, a brick comes through the wall, through the window, with a note mm. attached. And it's, it's saying that he's going to be, um, you know, he's going to be shot within minutes and killed. Um, and it, it gives him an escape route to go next door to the, to the bar um, where he's supposed to meet someone who's going to help him escape. And so anyway, so to make a, you know, sorry for the long preamble, but That's um, okay. to, yeah, to set the scene. So, so he's there and uh, he goes to the bar and he recognizes that there are some cars behind mm. the bar that appeared to be filled with other gunmen. And so he realizes that they're going to try to take him out, you know, right there and then. But so how did I come up with it? I simply wanted an opening scene, which was very dramatic and very exciting. And I, in my mind, I kind of, uh, you know, I agonized over whether to really set the scene more thoroughly. In other words, explain what Nick had been doing in the Northwest for six months. 
um, or simply to go right into the action scene. And so I chose to simply go right into the action scene. And in it, Nick attempts to escape from the killers who are hired to uh, take him out. And he succeeds, um, and I don't want to say exactly what he does to succeed, but he does <laughs> succeed. And he, and, uh, and, and well, there's a, fellow, um, there's a fellow by the name of Willem Spahn, who's a very wealthy investor. Mm. And Willem Spahn has been befriended by Desmond Cole, who is Margarita Ferguson's buddy. Now, Desmond mm. Cole is a, he's kind of a wandering aristocrat. He's like the perfect house guest. He never stays in one place very long because he doesn't have much money. Even though he's from an aristocratic lineage from um, back east, he doesn't have much money. So he kind of is a bit of a human sponge. And so at mm. this point, he's sponging off Willem Spahn. And uh, so, um, so anyway, in any event, Nick escapes um, in a vehicle driven by um, Willem Spahn's all-around um, Man Friday. Um, and and that's, how Nick, uh, that's how Nick escapes from the opening scene after a certain amount of mayhem occurs. Well, I'm glad you stuck to the, you know, the original thought of going to the action because I get really tired of listening to the backstories for 20 pages. Right, Which really exactly, gets to me yeah. while. And, and that's, why, that's why I made the decision... And actually, it's interesting um, that there's a bit more mayhem in the opening scene than I had originally yeah. written it. Um, but I, I friend, my content editor read the book, and he said, well, you might as well get right into it. Um, and the reason to be the show that Nick Crane, you know, um, when the chips are down and push comes to shove, Nick Crane means business. And the opening Nick scene cer- certainly portrays that. I think everybody could use a Nick Crane. Really? Well, <laughs> I, I know you know that, and that brings up that brings up another question. That's so interesting you'd say that, because <laughs> you know most readers of Twenty Seven Days up to this point are very positive about the book and you know like it a great deal, or, or in some cases love it, think it's fantastic. But I have had the occasional gent- gentle-souled reader who's a bit taken aback that Nick Crane is willing to engage in such violence. And I point out, well, I mean, these people are after him. These are evil people, and they're trying to kill him. What's he supposed to do? Let them just, you know, gun him down like a rabid dog? And the book would have put him sleep. And so that's the issue is, to what degree is it okay to take, more or less take matters into your own hand when you're fighting a powerful and thoroughly evil um, entity, what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to just, you know, lie back and take it and be, be killed or destroyed, or is it okay to fight back as violently as necessary? And in this story, because it's a violent thriller, the protagonist, Nick Crane, fights back as necessary. He's an honorable man. He would never shoot someone in the back or, you know, cold-bloodedly mm-hmm. execute people. But if people are after him, he will fight back. I do it with my mouth a lot, too. Very bad. I get in trouble all the time. And <clears throat> well, I mean, probably that's I won't what give I'm, up until what... I get the job done. So, see, Nick and I get along just fine. <laughs> right. Well, well that's, yeah. the response of, that's the response of the vast majority of people. But as I say, there are those gentle souls who are taken aback by the fact that <clears throat> there's yeah. a lot of violence in this book, and Nick Crane doesn't hes- hesitate to be violent when necessary. Well, he's right, though. 
So he becomes involved with them. What is their primary goal, and what is the significance of the title, 27 Days? And by the way, because of you wrote the first scene like that, I read the book in two hours, and then came up with your questions right away, if you noticed. You read the book in two hours? Yeah, I'm a speed reader, and I remember that's everything. A, it frightens me. And, and you remember everything? That's, that's amazing. That's because my mother... Um, whatchamacallit, made me read 10 books a week and take notes on them. Oh, my Oh my goodness. You've read a lot of books in your life. I think all of us who are interested in books, we've read a lot of books, but that's, that's, a, that's a big total. Well, the, the it's way scary. That, what, <laughs> yeah. Well, what, what, what Margarita Ferguson and the principals want, they want several things. They're what you would call they're aristocratic alt-right power brokers. And they have this organization, and they operate behind the scenes, and they don't hesitate to operate illegally as necessary. And their goal is to simply um, simply gain more and more power um, over mm-hmm. America. And at the same time, Margarita in particular, she's a big investor in the private prison industry. And, and so their goal in a nutshell, they're, you know, they want to keep America white as much as possible. Mm-hmm. They want to round up um, Latinos and Muslims as much as possible. And so you round them up. What do you do with them? Well, of course, you put them in these private prisons that you're, that are, you know, that you're building in various parts of the country, and they're like a big money-making proposition. So the idea is you round up the so-called undesirables and make a whole bunch of money in the process. Now, where does Nick Crane come in? Well, mm. there was a principal named Frank Constantine, who was he he was he was highly respected by other um, right wing conservatives because he was he was a military psychiatrist and he was engaged in what he called gentler, kinder torture research. The idea mm. being, well, okay, if torture is necessary and if we're going to sell it to the public, we need to come up with a, a gentler, kinder torture technique. So that would, that's what Frank Constantine is engaged in, research to uh, achieve that goal. But at the same time, Frank has a big problem. He's a serial killer of women. And in 2011, Nick is hired to find a missing kid by mm. a wealthy woman named Carolyn Best. And this, um, and, and so Nick in, in Nick's attempt to find this kid, it, his, the path leads him to Frank Constantine. And then they discover that Frank is a serial killer of women, etc. And that Nick and his team finally um, capture Frank. And Frank pushes the envelope. He has a pipe bomb, and he's going to blow them all up. And Frank Constantine's former handyman, who had um, come over to the other side, he shoots Frank Constantine. So Nick and his his actual people do not execute Frank Constantine, mm. but the, but the principals have always blamed it on him because it was his team that essentially brought Frank to justice. And so because of that, now Frank Constantine's best friend from childhood is a man named Thomas Quincy. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, in 27 days, we see that Thomas Quincy, he's kind of, he's been in prison briefly and he's a little bit out of it, but he had been Nick's primary antagonist 
in the story that comes before 27 Days. And that story, which is called Rogues and Patriots, will be published by Down and Out Books this coming um, April, so about 11 oh, months from now. And in it, we'll, we'll, we'll have, the whole story will be told, the story that leads up to 27 Days. Mm. So it's actually it's a prequel, which will be published after the initial book, 27 Days. It's a bit of an odd way to do it, but at that time, um, Rogues and Patriots was being shopped around New York by a New York um, literary agent. And uh, in the meantime, um, I wrote 27 Days, and then it became obvious that the agent in New York was having no success um, getting Rogues and Patriots published, so I wrote 27 Days, Down and Out Books published it, and then I went back and looked at Rogues and Patriots, and I realized it had some issues, and so... I've spent a mm. great deal of time and energy trying to perfect Rogues and Patriots as much as possible. Well, they so perfected at the this same one. Time, oh, and one other thing. At the same time, the principals, um, Frank, um, Thomas Quincy in particular and Margarita Ferguson, they're interested in part of their way to gain power. They want to, um, inst- they want to carry out false flag operations in the United States in which Muslim communities are attacked by Muslims. And the idea is to spread fear across the land, like you know, it's kind of like the war and terror on steroids. The idea is to spread such fear uh, you know, across the land that um, Muslims become um, increasingly more and more unpopular, have trouble getting into the country. And if they are in the country, if Margarita Ferguson's private prison um, plan works out, many of them will be locked up. And, and, so, and so in order to um, stage these false flag operations, well, it takes, mm. you know, execution, organizational abilities, and expertise. And that's where Nick Crane comes in. So early on, as you'll see in the, in the sequel, which is actually the prequel, Rogues and Patriots, they attempt to... Uh, you know, they, you know, Nick is abducted, but at the same time, they offer him a job. He can work for them. And uh, bygones will be bygones, and all will be forgiven. But Nick, of course, the last thing on earth he would do is work for the principals. So we've got the reason why 27 Days happens. Who is Bobby Moore? And he moves into action, and he's willing to, to convert, you know, to sacrifice himself after 27 Days. And who's on his side? Right, okay, yeah. Well, so what happens early on in, in 27 days, after Nick um, escapes from the attempt on his life at the beginning, um, he, re- he returns to Los Angeles, and he discovers Bobby Moore is his partner. He's a business associate. Mm. He's his partner in his um, PI firm, Nick Crane and Associates. But he's also, Bobby Moore is Nick's very close and dear friend. They go way mm-hmm. back to when they were in college, back in SF State, way back um, 30 years earlier. And uh, so Bobby Moore is kidnapped slash abducted by Margarita's, uh, by one of Margarita's mm-hmm. um, sleeper cells in the West. And, and so Margarita has Bobby Moore, and she has him in prison somewhere. Nick has no idea where. And so he receives an ultimatum through Desmond Cole, Margarita's um, buddy, mm-hmm. saying that Nick has he has 27 days in which if he has to turn himself into Margarita Ferguson within 27 days, 
or Bobby, who they have who they have abducted, will be shipped off to Scorpion Prison in Egypt, where he will be tortured and murdered, executed. And so it puts Nick in a very a nearly impossible situation. There, Bobby Moore is. He's, he's you know, he's going to be taken to Egypt to a prison if Nick doesn't somehow find him and liberate him. So Nick has two choices. He can find Bobby and liberate him, a near impossible task, or he can simply turn himself into Margarita Ferguson within 27 days, and then Bobby will be, um, theoretically at least, Bobby will be released and put on a, on a plane and on a one-way ticket to Argentina. So Bobby would be, would be shipped off to Argentina, but he wouldn't be killed. He would be safe um, if Nick turns himself in. So Nick either has to turn himself in or rescue Bobby Moore. So naturally, Nick sets out to rescue Bobby Moore, a near impossible task. And I set it up that way perfectly because I wanted to put Nick in a position where he's faced with a task, just an incredibly difficult task, that, um, and to see how, how, how he would deal with it. How would he deal with this impossible task of rescuing Bobby Moore? Well, this is this got interesting. Let me tell you, because Tony was not exactly exemplary, but Tony decided to help him, and Tommy Blank is there. So, how did they? How did these people find him, and how did he and Tony pull off the cons? Those was really cute, cool. Yeah, well, yeah, and that, that that's a that was a fun scene writing the the scene where where um, Tony Bot and Nick and an old friend of Nick's named Jimmy Sane where they cross-examine yeah. Tommy Blank trying to get information. So anyway, so let me explain who these two characters are. Tony, Bla- Tony Bott is also an old friend of Nick's. Tony Bott is an LAPD narcotics detective mm-hmm. who, unfortunately, at, at some point he gets a little greedy and he gets his fingers in the bag mm-hmm. and uh, he makes some illicit money, which he's very ashamed of having done that. But so, so he's a typical you know, kind of a rough, tough, and capable detective who is, um, he's busted a lot of drug traffickers over the years, you can be sure, many dozens of drug traffickers. But he also put his fingers in the cookie pot at one time, and he's very, very ashamed of that. Um, he, he originally got involved in this whole thing, and this will also be mm-hmm. um, described in Rogues and Patriots, when his best informant, a man named Roberto Diaz is mm-hmm. murdered. And so he asks Nick to fly with him to Culiacan in Sinaloa in Mexico to um, express their condolences to Roberto Diaz's wife, who lives in a village um, near Culiacan in the province of Sinaloa. And so Nick flies with Tony to Sinaloa, Tony offers his respects and condolences to Roberta Diaz's widow, and then they fly back to LAX. And when they get back to LAX, that's when Nick is abducted by Thomas Quincy and Margarita Ferguson. And that's when Nick first actually meets the principals. When Nick and his team um, brought Frank Constantine to justice seven years earlier, Nick had no notion that Frank was a member of the principals. In fact, mm. Nick didn't even know the principals existed. So anyway, Tommy, um, to- Tony Bott kind of blames himself for getting Nick into this mess, which is kind of you know, misplaced guilt 
because as we'll find out in Rogues and Patriots, Nick was in this mess anyway. And uh, the fact that he and Tommy Ambat flew to Mexico so that Tony could express his condolences to Roberta Diaz's widow, it really is somewhat beside the point, as the principles were coming for Nick anyway. Now, now Tommy Blank... The- Tommy Go Blank on, is Tommy. a horse of a yeah. different color. Tommy yeah, Blank is a, is a, he's like a totally unscrupulous, amoral dude who has kind of been living by his wits for his entire adult life. And uh, when, he, um, when um, the former president came to power and, uh, and uh, began holding rallies and that sort of thing, and then those rallies were – and then Margarita Ferguson – began holding rallies herself a few years mm. later after the former president was elected. And Tommy Bott, um, he kind of, um, he joins forces with Margarita. And uh, because he's very incapable, very capable in his unscrupulous, amoral way, he eventually becomes the manager of all of Margarita Ferguson's sleeper cells in the western part of the United States. That's and uh, very scary. I mean, could this all really happen? Well, that's yeah. you know, that's a real good question. It probably could happen. For all we know, some of it is happening, even as mm-hmm. we, um, even as we live our presumably, you know, fairly comfortable lives. And, and you so you wonder. You, you wonder exactly. And, and so, and so, Tom, because Tommy Blank runs Margarita's Western sleeper cells. He was also involved in the kidnapping of Bobby Moore. Some of his workers or soldiers, as I sometimes Mm -hmm. call them, um, they kidnapped Bobby Moore in the first place. And so so Nick's plan as it develops to um, rescue Bobby includes finding Tommy Blank and putting him in a compromised position where they can cross-examine him to find out where in the world um, Bobby Moore might be. We won't tell what happens when that happens because, oh boy. So, this was interesting. They have a terrorist operation that they developed. What in blazes is a paid prison? How does it work? And where do the illegals fit in? And I wouldn't be surprised if there's such a thing as a paid prison. Oh, well, absolutely, yeah. Um, There there are um, companies, private incarceration companies, that that have built and run private prisons in many parts of America. Heck, there's some here in Southern California. In fact... Mm. um, in fact, I, I, I had a client, you know, because I work in criminal defense, I had a client once who was in a private prison, and I had to go visit him there. And, and so private prisons really do exist. And what percentage of American prisoners are in private prisons? Very hard to say. But it might mm. be as many as uh, 10, 15, or 20 percent. Oh, and uh, so, so private prisons really do exist, and they, you know, and they are a money-making operation. And Margarita Ferguson is very involved in investing in private prisons. So what is ghost transmitted, and how does Nick use it, and what information is on it? Well, a ghost transmitter is simply a device. If you mm-hmm. say somebody's in a, in a hotel room and you want to um, tape record their conversation, 
you oh, need nice. to plant. You need to replant plant one end of the ghost receiver in the in the hotel room and turn mm. it on, and it will record any conversations that take place. And then the other end of the ghost transmitter, you can access whatever is recorded on the end of the ghost transmitter that's in the hotel room from up to a thousand yards away or so. So Nick uses it early in the story to get some information from um, Margarita Ferguson and Thomas Quincy, who are Thomas Margarita Ferguson at that point. She's putting on rallies, which she calls yeah, that was interesting. Mm. Make America Safe Again rallies in the upper Midwest. And and uh, Thomas Quincy, who takes a fall in Rogues and Patriots, as readers will see, he's gotten out. He was held briefly in prison. He was given a slap on the wrist. And he's out, and he's, you know, greatly subdued compared to how he was earlier on. The, the prison experience didn't agree with him. And he's kind of in a state of recovering. And so, but anyway, he's traveling with Margarita Ferguson. And when she holds her rallies, um, Thomas Quincy is one of her speakers. And so, with the help of the ghost transmitter, he mm-hmm. um, records their conversations and he finds out, um, he gets some information on some um, preliminary information on Bobby Moore and where he might be held. So who is Adara, and how did this was really cool? How does Nick pull off the disguises, and who well, helps well, him? Well, the disguises are you know they're fairly easy because at the he goes to several of Margarita Ferguson's massa rallies, and he just wears like you know like like a wig and and a and mm-hmm. a beard. He wears wears reddish brown beard and reddish brown wig. Another point, he wears a, a you know just a kind of a tonsure. Um, a very like prim and proper haircut with with a little mustache with makes him look like a Nazi. Mm. Um, but um, anyway, but so yeah, so the disguises are um, not so hard to pull off. But Adara, now, and this takes us back to Rogues and Patriots too. Adara and her father, Muhammad Ghaffari, they were mm-hmm. Iraqis, and uh, Muhammad, Adara's father. He was kind of a banker in the in in the Ba'ath Party in Saddam Hussein's party in Iraq, and uh, Muhammad was very unhappy and he wanted to escape to America. And after his wife is murdered, he kind of you know that's like the straw that breaks the camel's mm. back. So he and Margarita come to America um, around 1999 or thereabout. And the way they get here, it's with the help of Thomas Quincy. Mm. And the idea is that, um, you know, so, so they're here in America. In, an, in Adara's mind, here in America, she'll get to be free. Like um, we Americans, uh, you, know, gen- are, you know, are assumed to be, are uh, allegedly free. And she gets here and she discovers that, you know, it's not so easy as that. Because her father, Muhammad, is largely controlled by Thomas Quincy. Mm. And then when 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 Adara starts complaining, um, Thomas Quincy essentially puts her under house arrest. And so in Rogues and Patriots, Nick's job, among other things, is to um, rescue Adara and Muhammad Ghaffari from Thomas Quincy's clutches. Okay, and so, so we have Nick another gets to know Adara. 
What's that? I don't. Uh, we have another character. I don't want to, you know, leave her out. Is Carrie North, who I like. Why, well, and she is a very important character. Yeah, so why does she I team up it, with Nick, and how does she proceed, and what's her past? And Dick right, gets more well, okay. interesting now, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, very interesting. One of the things I wanted to do is I wanted to bring a strong female character into mm-hmm. the story, an essential female character. And, and so um, in order for Nick to rescue Bobby Moore, and this, of course, all plays out in 27 Days, he needs help from people in high places, so to speak. And, and uh, Carrie North is a young, idealistic, you know, kind of progressive FBI agent. Mm. And uh, she knows about Margarita Ferguson and Margarita's plans to launch um, false flag terrorist operations here in the United States. And so she wants to arrest Margarita and arrest her for um, conspiring to uh, to uh, commit um, domestic terror, terror operations against the United States. And so and so she she threw Adara Ghaffari. Terry North contacts Nick Crane fairly mm. early on in 27 days. And Nick is very suspicious of her because Nick's kind of suspicious of law enforcement in general and doesn't mm. completely, um, completely trust them. And, and so, so, but anyway, um, Terry North gives him the option of working with her. And he agrees as long as she can get him immunity. So she succeeds in doing that. So Nick begins working with Carrie North. And, but Carrie North's um, goal is she wants to arrest Margarita for conspiring to commit domestic terrorist operations against the United States, whereas Nick's goal is to simply rescue Bobby Moore. And Nick's ultimatum to Carrie is that, okay, I'll help you in every way I can, but you've got to help me rescue Bobby in the fir- first because 27 days, that's all we got. Time is running out. And, and so that's how Carrie North becomes involved. And so, so she, she and Nick become kind of an odd couple. But as you've seen reading the book, as time passes, so they learn to they work find together. And, and they use some pretty crappy powers of persuasion when they find blank. Well, well, they, they, find, they find blank because... Uh, <laughs> And, well, well, the way they find blank is during the period earlier on when um, the ghost transmitter period, um, Nick finds out where Margarita is. And among mm. other things, he steals her cell phone. And then, and then he, um, he goes through her cell phone, and he finds out, he, get, finds out, he gets, like, a way to contact um, Tommy Blank through email. So he emails Tommy Blank pretending to be Margarita. And he tells Tommy Blank, come to the rally in Racine, Wisconsin. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk. You're doing such a good job that maybe you're going to get a promotion with with the implication that that, um, Margarita perhaps wants to um, make love with Tommy Blank. Tommy Blank is a handsome and charismatic dude. Mm. He, he's also a bisexual dude. Oh, and, that's uh, even better. And, and and so so he's like he's like kind of he's like an interesting figure. He's kind of 
you know, kind of looks a bit like I'm Elvis probably, and mm. just has has plenty of savoir faire, and he's just completely amoral and self-seeking. At the same time, he's quite charismatic, as sociopaths often are. So Tommy Blank is, you know, he's really a, a socio, he's, he's a charming sociopath. He'd be a great character on a on horror program, <laughs> on a television show. But before I forget, Monday, the author of Liquid Shades of Blue will be here at 10. And next on Covert in Cairo on the 10th, on the 16th, Alan Sandransky Incident at Miguel. And 17th, David Putnam with his Moonlight series. And the 18th, former FBI agent Mark Boughton takes center stage with Does Your Guy Lie? On the 22nd, D.P. Lyle with Cultured. On the 24th, Dead Drop by M.P. Um, Woodward. I finished that yesterday. That took me a while. And the 25th, this is really a great honor. The Bride Wall White, Jane Ann Kranz, Amanda Quick. And I'm not sure about the 30th because they sent the book, but I didn't get it. So we're going to wait on that one. So that is May. Wait till you hear about June, and I just booked four for August. This girl is so busy. So there's a character. How does the dark web enter into it? I've always been interested. How do they do that? And who is Tommy's aunt, and why do they want to deal with her? Okay. Well, the, the dark web, as we've all heard of the dark web, yeah. Most of us have probably never been on the dark web. Mm. But the dark web is a part of the Internet that's hidden from normal Internet usage. We all use the Internet Mm. probably every day for various things. But the dark web is a part of the Internet where a lot of questionable activity goes on. And uh, it's actually not hard to get on the dark web. You just use an app called Tor, T-O-R, I believe, Mm -hmm. And through using it, you can get on the dark web. And you can do all kinds of things on the dark web. You can buy drugs on the dark web. You can um, buy information about people on the dark web. And so Nick Crane has a a young assistant named Greg Thurston. Greg is Mm -hmm. quadriplegic. He's an expert with databases and computer hacking and things of that nature. And so... What And so Greg's part of this story is he gets Nick information on two gentlemen who are running two separate private prison operations, one in the West and one more in the Southeast. And, and, so, and, and so Greg Thurston, who's a, you know, who, he's fearless when it comes to computer stuff because he's very knowledgeable. And so he gets Nick information on the dark web about mm. these two these two guys that run private prison networks. In Rogues and Patriots, he, get, he gets Nick information early on on Thomas Quincy and Margarita and people like that. So Greg has been extremely valuable to Nick because Greg gets Nick the information that Nick would not be able to obtain on his own, as Nick is pretty old school in a way. And though he uses modern mm-hmm. stuff like ghost transmitters, He's, he's hardly like an, an Internet expert or a computer hacker. Well, this this is the part that really surprised me, but Nick is really a brave person. How did you create a plan to plant him 
as Ned as somebody else, and who helped him keep stay alive? Because the scenes in the prison scared the daylights out of me. Did you model yeah, a real one? Uh, I was like, God, that was really like, oh my God, Nick, you went over and above board. I was praying for him the whole time. Yeah, well, the the way that all happens is Nick finally after um, after Tony Bott, Nick's um, LAPD narcotics detective friend, after Nick and Tony Bott and Nick's friend from Wisconsin, from mm-hmm. his childhood, Jimmy Sane, after they, shall we say, cross-examined Tommy Blank, mm-hmm. um, Tommy Blank finally gives them information. And it's, it's simply like the contact information for the designation person for the private mm-hmm. prison um, um, complex that is run by this fellow named Jethro Shemansky in the east, southeastern part of the United States. So this is a woman, a designation person. So she's the only person that really knows where Bobby Moore is. So Nick goes and meets her, takes her out to dinner and all of that. And uh, that's, that's a fun scene. Um, and she finally gives Nick the information. She tells Nick what private prison Bobby Moore is in. And because he's being held in a private prison, in the bowels of a private prison, as we discover in the last third of the book. And, and, so, um, and so Carrie North, the FBI agent, she helps Nick by, she has, it's a, the private prison, it's kind of a private prison where a lot is going on in various mm. different entities, do experiments and this and that in the bowels of the prison. And so the FBI also, they plant a person in the private prison named Jeremy Clyde, who is mm-hmm. an FBI undercover special agent, to, um, to pose as Nick's case manager in the private prison. Nick goes into the private prison just posing as a typical fraudster who's you know, serving a three-year sentence for some kind of fraud. And, uh, and so that's how they get in the private prison. Once Nick is in the private prison... He has to figure out how to find Bobby Moore. Where in the private prison is Bobby Moore? Nick's not sure. So he has to figure this out. And Jeremy Clyde is extremely helpful. Jeremy Clyde was a fun character. As Jeremy's, you can't exactly say Jeremy is amoral. Rather, Jeremy Jeremy Clyde's scope is somewhat limited, Mm. and he's absolutely loyal to the FBI. And anybody that even so much as makes fun of the FBI is immediately on um, Jeremy's list as an, you know, as an enemy. And so Jeremy is instrumental in helping Nick to, um, to perhaps liberate Bobby Moore from the prison. So Nick becomes a trustee. What does that mean? And do they yeah, have a get trustee in custody? Yeah, every prison has trustees. What trustees are, it's simply kind of a fancy name for somebody that has, has a, a somewhat special job for the prison. Mm-hmm. Like they might work in food detail or, you know, they might work in cleanup detail. And, and so the thing about being a trustee, if you're a trustee, you have kind of special rights. Mm. And so it's all part of the plan for Nick to find Bobby Moore in the prison is he, and he's made a trustee. And he works in food detail, and which is, and that's how he eventually, what eventually leads him to Bobby. So, do they ever get Marguerite? And what about Cole? Just how big a network does she have? 
Well, the principles, as it's explained somewhere, the principles, it's a network of about 20 rich, powerful, aristocratic mm. individuals. So there's about 20 of them. And the, the principles are organized a bit like the octopus. That is, if you mm. need to look at an octopus, it has a big central brain, and then it has all its tentacles, and each tentacle has its own personal brain. So the, or, the principles are somewhat organized like that. So it makes them a shadowy organization. It's hard to get to the, to the heart of the principles. Where is the heart of the principles? Or even is there a heart? Or are they all just kind of independent contractors doing their own thing? And, of course, they also organize themselves into little, into little cliques of four or five individuals each. And, and so the part of the principles that Nick's been dealing with consists of initially Frank Constantine way back in 2011 when Nick and his team brought Frank to justice. And so he was part of the team that also includes Thomas Quincy, Desmond Cole, and Margarita Ferguson. God, really? So who else is involved? Who else, Who is Clyde? Well, Clyde is Jeremy Clyde. He's the FBI okay, undercover yeah. special agent who helps Nick um, when Nick is in the private prison. So wait a minute. Here we go. And who are the? There are other bad guys. The fun. The fun part was the last five chapters. How did you create this? The uh, the action-packed scenes in the last five chapters. And how do I know that this this is not done? This is far from done. Yeah. Well. Well. So if we assume that Nick eventually locates Bobby Moore in the private mm -hmm. prison, which is in North Carolina, um, if Nick eventually locates Bobby Moore, well, he's still got to get Bobby Moore out of the private prison. How is he mm. going to do that? Um, and uh, so what I came up with, so I, once again, I tried to make it as hard as possible. Yeah, and Nick did. discovers that there is a way out of the private prison, but it leads into an underground labyrinth, um, a labyrinth of tunnels that eventually lead into the town where the private prison is located on the edge of the town. So I wanted to, once again, just make it as hard as possible for Nick to escape. And so that's where oh, I what? created those final chapters where, where Nick and Bobby Moore and Jeremy Clyde are in the labyrinth um, behind the private prison, outside of the private prison, trying to get to daylight. I got claustrophobia just going there and afraid of the dark. Oh, my God. And all the things that you could find in a labyrinth which can crawl on you, you don't want to know. So Yeah, and that's, that's interesting you say that because my content mm -hmm. editor, he had the exact same experience. Oh, good. I wish I had one like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, you wish you had a content editor like that? Yeah, the last but unfortunately, my, my editor died last week. Maxine oh, died. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I'm so it sorry. It was so sad, and I did write half a book, and I said I would wait for her. After she edited the half a book, I said, I'm not going to finish it until I know you could do it, and then she died. So when I finish it, if I ever do, I'm dedicating it to her memory because I write horror. I don't write like normal people do. So I, uh -huh. I, I, Oh, I, so, you know, you, I, so you write horror. <clears throat> well, yes, that's interesting because – oh, sorry. Do you ahead. write horror? No, no. I just write these thrillers with kind of, you know, perhaps some horrific content. 
Yeah, mine is totally horrific. The the last one came out in January. It's called oh. Accusations, and I'm on tour with Partners in Crime, and it's, they're great, but the people don't quite get it. If you were ever wrongly accused, you tell your story from the grave. And if you ever had your voice silenced, you tell your story from the grave. There are seven stories. Five of them are true. So the uh-huh. person that wow. gave me three and a half stars the other day said, I wish you would have you know, made more with the characters. And I said, if I did that, I would ruin the dictation. Each person that told me something, it really happened including the teacher in my school before she killed herself, told me the story as to what happened and what she went through. So, and, and this book, I, I, Fran, your book is called what? Faces Behind the Stone's Accusations. Faces and, Behind the Stone? Yeah, it's told from the point of view of the dead body behind the gravestone. <laughs> right. Ah, oh, that's a great title. Faces Beyond, yeah, well, I'm just writing it down. Faces Beyond the Stone, the Accusation. Faces behind. I'll email you the the link from Amazon later. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, I'll take a look at it. Oh, that'll be that'll be fun. You know, yeah, interesting. Well, my, editor, my, content, one... my content editor, who's been a frustrated writer all his life, he's finally oh, started that to write help. fiction, and he's writing horror. Well, I will read it. You know, I my my content editor, um, Jonathan, that I got after. He's a, he's great. He only does grammar and stuff like that. But because I asked him to, he did a lot of content. And this book I thought came out better than anything else. But oh well, I don't claim to be the great writer. I claim to be a better reviewer and interviewer. That's 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 my 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 thing. And I have my my sister died in 2010 under strange circumstances, and she told me to to do radio. So this is her fault. That's how Miller uh-huh. likes to say I miss it. Uh-huh. Well, so, it's a great it's a great thing that you're doing, and you know, um, you know, it is it's a it's also a great thing to have a good content editor. Editor, the yeah. thing is, you need to find one that you trust, mm. because as we all know, um, I mean, out there, you know, in this age of indie publishing and you know, an yep. overabundance of books being published and all, there are, there are probably you know huge numbers of people who you know make earn money and perhaps make a living, you know, setting themselves up as editors. Well, lots of people can be good copy editors, grammar editors, spelling editors. He, but, he was you know, great because it only cost me, first of all, I self-published this one. The one before this, Population Zero, it cost me thousands, and I didn't realize it. And the book didn't come out great, and it went nowhere because they didn't help me. So I self-published this. It cost me $451 to get the um, paperback, the, the uh, PDF, uh, the bookmarks, um, the editing and everything. She uh-huh. was great, Robin, at Fideli. And if I do the next one, she's going to do that one, too. And I hope Jonathan uh, will, you know, do do another number on it and, and definitely, you know, be my editor. But I need somebody to read it to tell me what I did wrong. I don't get insulted if they tell me I did something wrong. Right. And well, that, well, that's where a better. good content editor comes in. Somebody that yeah, you, somebody that you trust, who can see. I, I mean, like my content editor, whose name is B J W Nash. That's his pseudonym. Um, he uh, he when he read Twenty Seven Days, and he thought, well, this is this is, for the most part, he thought it was a tremendous book, but he saw certain. Flaws, and he pointed mm. out those certain flaws, and I, I followed his advice, and uh, 
I thought he gave good advice. And the thing is, a good content editor never nitpicks, but rather is like a skilled surgeon and can read the story and just see where there may be certain points in the story that, or certain characters that could be strengthened. And well, so I think the content did editor doesn't overdo it. Well, she didn't do that. She only did grammar and whatever. Once in a while she found some content, whatever. But basically he did. And I thought he did a great job. Uh-huh. And I had never used him before. But the fun part, the great part is if I had to talk to him and I picked up a phone, he answered it. And he he just did a lot for me to give me confidence that I knew what I was doing. But obviously the people... I was supposed to get reviews from Partners in Crime, and they all changed them to showcases because nobody quite figured out what I wrote it. I wanted to give honor to the people whose, whose, whose voices were silenced or wrongly accused. Right. And one of them was somebody very close to me that I work with, and something that I was asked to do, I won't say what, that I refused to do, which cost me the principalship of my school. Oh, my goodness. I would I would not to be very honest I was called by the by the board of ed they didn't my I was the writing and reading coordinator and I was a, the writing the um test coordinator and I was called they said that they didn't think that the writing scores in my school were high enough would I please reconsider remark them and change the scores and, Oh my goodness Oh I'm serious And this must and it, and it must be a, pri- a private school right like a private high school How about an elementary school in the Bronx Oh, and an elementary school, but a, a private school or a public school? Public school. I taught in forever. And okay, public school in the Bronx. I, I see. Well. So. And I called my boss. I said, "Put my principal on the phone." And I, I wasn't. And she said, "What do you think?" I said, "I'll be very honest with you. I won't do it. If you feel that you want to, you know, fix the scores and make them go higher, I'm going to resign as test coordinator. I will not do it. I have too many morals and scruples." And she blacked me up. About a week later, I got an. She got a letter from the State Department. They audited my test scores. Every single paper, I couldn't believe it. Two hundred fifty writing tests. I had to give them the scrap paper, the special ed, everything, and the scoring sheets. A month later, they sent an email, a letter to my boss, apologizing and saying they wouldn't have changed one score. I am honest; it will never happen again. Well, so that so that's good. So actually, actually, um, wiser heads did prevail. It did, except for the fact that when I went to apply for assistant principals or whatever, they sort of, you know, what can I say? Honesty didn't help. <laughs> so, right. I I knew. Well, sure. Right. Right. So there was like corruption within the system, unfortunately. Yeah, and I wasn't going to deal with it. So how do we know there's more to come? And is Nick Snape safe now? What's next for him? Well, well, what is next for him? is Rogues and Patriots, the prequel mm-hmm. to 27 Days, which will be published in April by my publisher down in our books, also Charles Salzberg's publisher. And uh, Charles actually recommended me to down in our books. That's how I got them as a publisher in the first place. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so in Rogues and Patriots, we'll get the whole story, what happened before 27 Days. And, but your question is Dick safe. Up to this point, Nick is never safe. He never will be safe as long as the principals, and particularly Margarita Ferguson, are after him. But I will write 
the sequel after Rogues and Patriots is published, then the next book in this three-book series, Nick Crane versus the Principles, will take place after 27 Days. And I've started that book, and uh, and in it, Nick, you know, has for better or worse, Nick has to solve his his problem with the principles, as he can't go on forever just being on the run, hiding out from the principles, and you know, you know, having them um, act, be after him, and uh, you know, it's no way mm. to live, obviously. And uh, so we'll see what happens in the third book in the series, which I tentatively have a working title, which is called Giant Steps. I don't Ooh, know nice. if that will be the the ultimate title, but that's the title for now. So in it, it will be part three of Nick Crane versus the Principles, and we'll see what happens. Well, I have a working title, too, when I said it to somebody and they stole my title. So I had to change mine. Oh, my, my goodness. Next one. Yeah, they did. I said it to a couple of people, and all of a sudden I said, like, wait a minute. So I, I changed the title, and basically it's people that look in the mirror and they see their alter ego, their other half of evil, and the evil person says, you will pay for what you did. Because what you did, you're going to feel exactly what you did to somebody else is going to happen to you. And then you're going to wind up as a face in a different mirror. Oh, my goodness. Wow, what a great idea. Yeah, so you have a, so you have a real sense of uh, horror and how to, how to put a horror story together. Yeah, and I'm, going to t- I'm trying to figure, I did five mirrors already. And I think I'm going to do a part two and just make it longer and figure out who... There is a couple of people that deserve to be in the mirror. I can't say who, but they do deserve it. So where can everybody find out about you and your work? And I hope I get the next one because I know I have to find out what really happened before. Right. Well, the the two easiest places to um, access my books are either on Amazon or on uh, my publisher, Down and Out Books. They, of course, have their own website, so you can go on Mm -hmm. their website. And the advantage of doing that, if you buy a paperback copy, they give you a free electronic copy. Um, or you can go to Amazon. Um, and I have, a, I have a, an author's profile on Amazon, if anyone wants to read up about me a little. A little. That is on Amazon. So you would, just, you, you would just go to Amazon. You would write in Patrick H. Moore, 27 days, the book would come up. You would click on it. And then you'd see the you would um, be directed to the author profile, so so it's the book's easy to find, no problem. Just you know, go on Amazon or go directly to Down and Out Books to their website. Well, my nephew did the promo for this one because I, he my nephew does analytics and stuff for all sorts of things, and he took over my my whole career, and he did the promotion and he wrote the the promo for this on the on the screen. And he did the pictures. He did everything, and he's t- he uh-huh. decided that I don't I don't need to do anything. He does my Twitter. He's going to probably Twitter this later, and he publishes and promotes all my shows. And people have been actually buying the books and stuff after he does that. So his aunt doesn't have to do anything. All I do is send him the stuff, and he does it for me. And for that, he's I'm still his number one aunt. <laughs> Uh-huh. So it's, it's it's great, but thank you so much. This has been fun. This is interesting, and um, I hope I get the next the, the sequel next year. And do you do panel shows or anything to talk about writing or how you write um, about horrible well, well, characters? Well, you know, be, because I'm just recently published, I you know I am going to go to Boucheron this um, August in San mm-hmm. Diego. Boucheron is in San Diego this year, 
and I'm actually I'm registering. I'm actually too late to get on a panel there, I think. So I have to this point I haven't been on any um authors panels. I would certainly be willing. Um I'm a little bit of an you know, of an introvert and uh, I'm perfectly comfortable in the public eye, but I know a lot of writers seem to take great pleasure in going to all the different writers' events. And, uh, you know, they're crisscrossing the country, going to all these events. And it's not really in my nature to do that, but I'm certainly more than willing to be on author's panels. Yeah, because I, I have a few more ideas. And just listening to you and talking about horrible people and difficult characters, that would be interesting. Because I'm doing one with six people. I'm brave on this one. May 11th next week, on the, on the 11th, Charles Salzburg, Dick Belsky, I'm not sure, Lee Matthew Goldberg, Vincent Zandri, um, Derek McFadden, and Jeff Bond. We're going to talk about questions that people ask of authors and questions that they would like to ask people that read their books and more. It's my thing as a reading specialist. I did something on April 13th with my reading professor from Lehman because we keep in touch and we do shows. So we did questioning for kids for age K-12 and he gave me an idea for a panel. So now this panel that you're doing with Charles and other um, writers, where is is this part of a writers conference, or how does this how does this? Happen? I created it myself. It's it's France crazy ideas. <laughs> I do it on my I do it instead of an interview. I do a panel on my on my broadcast. I could do anything. Oh, I, I, I see. So 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 it's kind of like it, like everyone's on the phone and talking. Sorta. Right. You never know. You just never know. But it's a lot of fun. But thank yeah, you so much. It, it's well, a beautiful well, thank, day thank you for having me, friend. This was really a pleasure. This was lots of fun. This would this this brightened my day and a whole lot of other reasons too. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a great day, and smile. Say something nice to somebody. Have a great day, and bye.